Hey, church, it's so good to be with you for another online worship service. Uh, we need to begin this service with a confession. Last week, I wished you on the video Happy New Year, but the truth is we recorded two services back-to-back so our family could have a little week off, and so it was still 2020, and my Happy New Year uh, was not authentic. So I apologize. Confession is good for the soul. Happy New Year for realsies. And what a new year it's been. Uh, we're only a week in, and already it's been quite exciting. Uh, if you're like me, I find myself just asking, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to get through this? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that any of us are going to get through it. I think Jesus is who he is, and I think we're going to continue to praise him and trust in his power, trust in his goodness, trust in his individual plans for us as people and as, uh, for a nation and for our church. And we're just so grateful to be with you and worshiping the Lord with you. Let's join together and sing about his power as we get 2021 started properly this time. Amen? Let's go. Some may trust in horses. Some may trust in chariots. Oh, but I, I'm on trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in riches, some may trust in all they own. Oh, but I, I will trust in the name of the Lord. Why? Because there is Just 
Sings the mountains above You are, you are Where my help comes from Oh how high would I climb mountains If the mountains If you grace the other side Oh, how long have I chased rivers From lowly seas to where they rise Against the rush of grace descending From the source of its supply Cause in my heart Search and stop at nothing You're just not that hard to find I will praise you on the mountain And I will praise you when the mountain's in my way You're the summit where my feet are So I will praise you in the the same, no less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray, you're the heaven where my heart is, in the highlands and the heartache all the same, in my way You're the summit where my feet are So I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the 
Come the pastures we call grace A mighty river flowing upwards From a deep but empty grave I will praise you on the mountains I will praise you when the mountains in my way You're the I will praise you in the valleys all the same No less God within the shadows No less faithful when the night leads me astray You're the heaven where my heart is In the highlands and the heartache all the same Well, welcome everybody at ABF, another edition of ABF Online, and it's our announcement time. You'll want to write some of these things down. We have so many things going on. We're so excited to be back together with you every week, and some of you may not know that we're back together on campus, and in fact, uh, Awana met this past week on Tuesday, uh, high school met on Wednesday, junior high met on Thursday. Men's Bible study met on Tuesday. So everything's back, and we're so glad that you're able to join us in this way online. Again, we want to pray for you. So text us at 9700097000 for prayer. We'd love to continue to pray for you, especially uh, some of you may just be worried about, you know, loved ones and, the, you know, the COVID uh, surge and all those things. And especially, we want to just pray for you with Ever needs you have, we want to pray. Now, there's one special event that's coming up this next week. It's our Women's Courtyard Gathering. That'll be on Monday, January 11th at 6.30. Great time of connection outside in the courtyard. You'll love to be a part of that. By the time you're watching this, you've probably already received a, a letter from Pastor Scott about the unbelievable year-end giving miracle. And in fact, uh, you got the total that was $304,815 above our normal budget. You say, how did we get there from, from where we were a few months ago? That's because of God's grace in your life as you gave sacrificially. Uh, we also announced that we were completely forgiven our PPP loan of $77,511. So that actually meant that you gave $227,000 $1,304 above your regular normal giving uh, of our budget for this year. And so that's something that we are so grateful for. As you know, we wiped out our deficit completely. We have a, a major project we're doing with our missionaries and their ongoing ministry in their areas. Uh, money has gone to our playground. And we're going to pray about some of this, uh, the other money that came in, as to what we might have God uh, lay on our hearts in the future. And so there's so many things that we're so grateful for. I think in this second Sunday of 2021, it would be so great for you to just join me in prayer uh, before Pastor Scott comes. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the way you have blessed this church. You've cared for us in ways that are beyond our wildest dreams. You have protected our congregation. And I ask, Lord, that you continue to use us to be a beacon of light whether it's here, across the street, or around the world. 
And we want to make a difference in the lives of people as we make a difference in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here at ABF. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, John, and Happy New Year to each one of you. So thankful to see, even as Josh was sharing, just God's provision just through your uh, faithful giving and uh, just awesome to see God's hand at work and providing and caring for this church in a really a pretty tumultuous season of uh, ministry, season of life. We're continuing to pray and lift up our, our nation during this difficult time. Even before starting this, we we're spending some time uh, praying for that. Well, we're excited to pick up the year, starting off with... Uh, uh, continuing in the book of John, and I want to invite you to turn to, to John chapter 11. And I've titled this message, Hope for the Hurting. And I titled this because really, as I think about our present day, you don't have to look very hard to find somebody that's hurting. Really, we're surrounded with it. Lots of people going through a lot of difficult stuff. And I was just uh, reading an email this week from a, a beloved family in our church and just knowing their story and the last couple of years, man, it has been tough. First off, they had their, their home burned during the, the fires a couple of years ago. And then this past year, the husband lost his long-term job. They're emailing me this week, just kind of giving me a little summary of what had transpired in the last week. And they're saying, yeah, on the beginning of the week, they had their, their dog for a walk and another dog attacked their dog. And so they had to take it to the vet. They take the dog to the vet and they discover that it had a cancerous growth on it. And so they're like, man, what more could go wrong? So as they're helping the dog recover, the wife takes the dog for a walk. The wife, while taking the dog for a walk, trips and falls and breaks her fibula. And, uh, and then trying to get into a hospital this week for surgery has been next to impossible. They're saying in the middle of that, they said, we're just trying to see the, the humor in it all. They're trying to grab hold of some kind of, of hope during all of this trial. I was thinking about it. I was like, man, it sounded like a, the worst country uh, Western song I've ever heard. But God, as they've seen, has been faithful. And hopefully that's what you're experiencing as well. What I love during Christmas and celebrating the, the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth is what that means is that we have a, a God that isn't distant and unconnected. He understands all of the stuff that we go through because he's been through it himself. In this week's text, we're going to see Jesus deal with the loss of a friend and how he sympathizes with those surrounding the situation, but probably attached to this with Lazarus, as you're most likely familiar with the story, is the greatest sign miracle apart from Jesus's resurrection that we're going to see in the entire book. So I'm excited to dive into today's passage. Let me just pray briefly before we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to gather, to be together, even online, and to study your word, which is so full of life. It feeds us, it nourishes us. And we ask that that happens even our time now, that we'd be able to put aside distractions, the cares of this week, the cares of this world, and really engage in this topic. We do continue to pray, as I mentioned, for our nation, for all the chaos that we're surrounded with, that you would do uh, your healing touch, that you would break through to people, that you'd use some of the events that we're currently dealing with to draw people to yourself, for people to recognize that you're the one true king, the only one we can count on. 
We thank you for that reality, and that's why we study your word now. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, starting in chapter 11 and verse 1, a pretty exciting uh, uh, passage here. Let me begin reading. Now It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. All right, we'll stop there. First off, we're introduced to some uh, main characters in this story. You're introduced to uh, actually three, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, all three of them related. And you might be familiar with the story of Mary and Martha and the powerful uh, expose of her washing, of Mary washing Jesus's feet with her own hair, with perfume and Mary or Martha in the process, learning the importance of worship in that whole deal. Many theologians believe that the Mary here in this account is the same Mary that we studied in John chapter 8, who was caught in adultery. It's unsure if that's correct or not because there's such a, a common name. We don't know a ton about Lazarus. In fact, much of what we learn about him is found in this text. But even based on what we say, what is said here about him, it describes him as he whom you loved. They didn't use his name. It was all the information that was needed for Jesus to recognize who they were talking about. So that tells us that it was somebody that Jesus was very close to. In fact, Jesus refers to him a little bit later as our friend. And it tells us in the text also that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus loved everyone the same, but just like us, he had relational circles and, and people that he spent more time with that he knit closer bonds than other. And this would have been somebody that he was tight knit with. Would have been, had to have been pretty serious for the messenger to be sent to Jesus, though his illness had to be life-threatening if they're gonna call and interrupt Jesus. And so they choose to do that. And Jesus gives a little bit of a comfort to the messenger explaining that at the end of the story, this would not lead to Lazarus' death. You can see why that statement might be a little bit confusing in a few uh, verses from now. But either way, you see that it was a pretty serious deal. But then something peculiar happens, we're told, right after he's given this information. Upon finding out that Lazarus is sick, the text says, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place he was. Kind of upon first reading, that seems a little bit cold and, 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 and not very compassionate. Usually, when someone that we really care about is going through something difficult or hardship, that's a, we, we, we drop everything. That's the first thing we do is try to rush to the scene, see how we can uh, pitch in. But that's not how Jesus operates here. Maybe you have that same arrangement with uh, those you love, knowing that you'll be, have their back if they're going through something difficult. My wife, Adrian, and I have a, a little system where maybe it's even unspoken. Maybe those of you that are married do this as well. If Adrian calls my phone and I'm in a meeting, 
I won't pick up the call. But if she calls a second time and I see that on the phone, do you guys do this too? You're like, oh, maybe this is serious. I should probably uh, call her back and I'll drop whatever I'm doing just to check in to make sure everything's okay. Obviously, Jesus missed some of these cues. He re didn't recognize that this was an urgent thing or it didn't seem like he recognized that this was urgent. But he tells us why. There is purpose behind his delay. He says that this is happening so the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's an important thing for us to understand in our trials. As we're going through different circumstances, he's always working things out for our good and his glory. He's working things out for our good and his glory. We don't necessarily understand it in the moment because sometimes all we can see is the pain that we're surrounded with. We don't take into account that we only see things with a partial view. I love that we're told in scripture that we see in a mirror dimly, but we don't take that often into account when we're reflecting and we're thinking through our current circumstances. Sometimes we hear that Jesus loves us and we look at our surroundings and it just doesn't seem to mesh. Here's the truth though. As a Christ follower, we have a choice to make. We have to decide whether or not we're going to doubt God and believe your experience or you're going to trust what he says is true. Are you gonna doubt God and believe the things that you can see or, or feel? So many times we're guided by simply that. But that's what Jesus invites us to. When he tells us to walk in, by faith, and not by sight, it's not just a slogan or a bumper sticker, it's real life, practical direction for us. It's actually healthy for us to doubt your current bad experiences as to whether or not they represent the final outcome of how things are going to play out. Most of us can think back, if you th consider this, you can think back across the landscape of your life and think of different things. When you were in the middle of it, it seemed hopeless and in the end of the story and there's no no possible way it could be turned for good. I in the I'm in the middle of raising teenage kids and you see them with different relationships and different friendships and man sometimes it can lead to tears and I remember growing up after breakups in junior high and high school just sobbing thinking oh this is the end I've lost the opportunity to be with the love of my life and then a little later in your life you realize hey it actually worked out quite well in my favor but here's the the reality is Jesus sees the bigger picture and sometimes something that appears to be unloving may actually be God's kindness to us. Take a look at verse seven. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, 
but they thought that he meant taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Everybody's got that friend, right? A little gloomy. But basically what Jesus was waiting on, Jesus is waiting on the perfect timing. He decides now it's time and the time is right to go to Judea and see Lazarus. What we're about to be reminded of is that time doesn't really matter with Jesus as far as his ability to influence a situation. Time doesn't diminish Jesus's ability to help, to, to intervene, to change, to redirect. But they didn't understand that up until this point. The extra time actually enhanced the glory of his provision. The longer he waited, the more the situation became hopeless. So his power and majesty could be on display. But here's, we're reminded by the disciples that going back to Judea, now Jesus was kind of operating at this stage of his ministry, kind of like a, a fugitive. Wherever he went, he had to think through, are they going to kill me there? So his disciples are reminding him, just a couple days ago, we studied it a, a number of weeks back, just a, a little bit back, they were trying to stone you for your claims of deity. And now you're gonna go back to the exact same place where that happened. But Jesus reminds them, when you're walking in the light or the will of the Father, we don't have to fear stumbling. We don't have to be concerned about it. The safest possible place you can be is right in the heart of the will of God. Then he clarifies the purpose of his visit. He says, we're going to awaken Lazarus. I love this idea. Often in the New Testament, it describes death for the believer as sleeping. This is the, the way that Jesus sees it. When you see death through his lens, it changes everything. I'll tell you what, for the believer, it's, if that's the worst possible thing that can happen to us, it's really not that big of a deal. For the believer, we're currently, when we're living here on earth, in the worst part of our existence. This is the miserable part. Death is just falling asleep and waking up on the other side. Waking up on the other side. My opinion, the past year has exposed an unhealthy fear of death amongst believers. I'm not saying we should go play in traffic or that we shouldn't take COVID-19 seriously, but we should have a similar perspective as Jesus Christ does as it relates to death. Upon death, our souls are taken immediately to be present with Jesus, to await the resurrection of the bo our body at the rapture. So for, the death, for, for us, death is not something to be feared. We're just gonna be going along doing our thing and all of us have that date on the calendar at some point and we're gonna breathe our last breath. We're going along and bam, all of a sudden present with the Lord. Is that really such a terrible thing if you actually think through it? This last week, I got the word of a lovely elderly couple from our church, Jerry and Shirley Petrosi. They were married for 56 years and just this past week, they passed from this life to the next. They fell asleep. And it was kind of interesting because both of them fell asleep 
and died within three hours of each other after 56 years of marriage. Very notebook-like, pretty uh, amazing experience. And think about what they are uh, going through right now, waking up and being on the other side of all of this, present with our Lord. Cool to think of death in the same way that Jesus does, that it's going to sleep. sleep. I like that the word cemetery actually comes from the Latin word dormitory, which means sleeping place. So Jesus' disciples missed out on all this. Jesus' disciples are known for missing quite a bit of his analogies. I don't know what it is with them. I don't know if you have that person in your life that's a little bit slow to grab hold of your illustrations. We all maybe have moments like that. My mom, over the years, we've teased her for missing moments and kind of having things kind of go over her head. She's a a great sport for us, kind of playfully joking around with her about this. We still tell the story of her being at the doctor's office for her routine checkup or visit, and the doctor was going through the checklist and was asking my my mom, her name's Linda, well, well, Linda, do you you smoke? She's like, oh, no, no, no. And then her next question you'd guess would follow is like, well, do you drink? She's like, oh, not nearly enough. She didn't understand. <laughs> she, she was talking about water. They were talking about other drinking. Sometimes in the middle of it, she kind of misses some things. And maybe you're that person. We all have those moments. Well, his disciples, man, he's talking about going to sleep and they're completely missing it. But he clarifies it to them. He has to get blunt. Basically, he says, Lazarus has died. Then he goes on, he says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. I thought that was interesting. At first, you might hear that and you might, it might seem kind of heartless, like they need to retouch that photo or adjust it to be a better Hallmark movie. This is the reality, though, is that our God has, doesn't, necessarily, doesn't necessarily love in the manner that we associate as loving all of the time. He doesn't necessarily care about having a pampering love, but a perfecting love. You don't, so for our mind, we don't see how love and suffering can be compatible, but when he looks at the end goal, the reason he wants us to grow in our belief and trust of him. And when we combine that with the worst case scenario is a believer leaves and is present immediately with, the sa- with the sa- our Savior, man, all of a sudden it changes the lens for all of this. See, Thomas's response, he's quite not exactly comforted by this. He says, let us also go that we, we may die with him. So the man of hope, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. I've noticed something for each one of us. We all have a certain threshold for lateness. We're okay with people being a little bit late. Think about the most recent lunch appointment where you've had somebody running late. It's five minutes is okay. 10 minutes is all right. Start pushing 15, 20, and you're getting a little bit irritated. You're checking your watch. You're checking your phone, checking your text. You're getting, a, getting your, your blood starts boiling. But what happens when somebody's four days late? Like how, how irritated would you be, especially when it's somebody that you considered so dear to you? So we see upon Jesus's arrival that you have different responses based on how they come out. First off, Martha comes running out to meet Jesus. Mary and everybody mourns differently and she can hardly even get up. She can hardly stand. But they are both asking the exact same question. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They weren't realizing that Jesus was still in complete control of the situation. Their, false, their false belief at that time, and here's a piece that might not be in the text, their false belief in that time was that once somebody died, their spirit lingered around them for the next three days. Jesus wanted to make sure that there was no doubt that Lazarus was fully dead in order to amplify what was about to happen. You see, nothing is over until Jesus decides that it is. So they were there for three days afterwards, and on the fourth day, Jesus finally arrives. The, the mourners are there, friends. They were, this would have been a well-known family, so they have friends and family, people that are going through this together, and Jesus shows up. It's established the perfect scenario for Jesus to demonstrate his glory to the masses. Martha greets them with mixed feelings of disappointment and faith. Some of us, that's where we're at. Sometimes, man, our, our heart of hearts, you're like, man, I'm really disappointed, but I'm still clinging to you. I'm still trusting. And that's what we see with Martha there. She understood that he could provide whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Understanding that there was no limits. What we're about to see here is that Jesus isn't bound by time. He, when he, it's, it's not done until he's decided it's done. A lot of us have that lesson to learn in other areas of our life that we're fretting over right now. It's not over until he decides it's over with your marriage that seems loveless. It's not over until he decides it's over to your finances that seem beyond repair. It's not over until he decides it is with your prodigal child that keeps on wandering and trying to go down different paths apart from Jesus Christ. It's not over. Jesus determines when it's over. And here, we're about to see it was definitely not finished yet. Verse 28, when he had said this, she went and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who were with her in her house and consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're both holding on to that. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? We'll pause there for a moment. At the end of his conversation with Martha, he had explained that anyone who believes in him, that's put their trust in him, will never see death. But now, what seems contradictory to that is we see that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus understands, though, the ministry of presence. Jesus shows up, and man, I see all of these interactions that he's having that he could be correcting people left and right. Are you kidding me? Are you, if, if I wanted to heal him, I could have healed him from a distance. He could have corrected their theology and understanding, but instead he remains silent, but not completely silent, just the sound of his tears. I love that about our God, that we have a God that's willing to enter in with us. He's willing to go through the suffering with us, that's willing to comfort and not give all kinds of responses. I've shared this story before. I'll revisit it for a moment. When I was going through a really tough breakup in college, I was really wondering who would be that source of comfort. I had a couple of roommates and a couple of them were more talkers and interactors. And I had one friend named Neil, He's kind of a little bit more ape-like. He was a bodybuilder. And uh, I was remember being in our house that we were renting at the time, kind of wondering who was going to be the first one to show up through the door after going through this major breakup. And Sure enough, big Neil comes through the door. I'm like, oh, here we go. What's Neil gonna have to say to comfort me? Neil comes in, arms fully out, doesn't say a word, just grab me and starts hugging me. And I joke about it. I still to this day remember, it was one of those hugs that you're like, there's kind of a threshold with hugs, how long it's like, okay. It was way past that. Like after a while, I'm like, well, I can't necessarily get loose because he's like twice my size. So I just gave into it. I was like, man, this is the best hug ever. Somebody that understood that you don't necessarily need words to say. You just need to be there for people. That is our savior. He doesn't have to bring up the fact that he's omniscient and that he understood what was gonna happen next. He doesn't play all of those theological cards. He's just present with them. And they were not at the place where they could grasp that he was still in control. Up until now, they understood he could take things that were broken and fix them, but once something was gone, the story was over. It was finished. But in verse 38, we see that's not the case. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, 
Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died, had died, came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Probably the coolest day ever. I wonder how many of these people that showed up to see this event realized when they put their feet on the floor for the first time in the morning that this was going to be the most memorable day of their life. Something they would never forget. I love that Jesus in this demands certain activities that are gonna require some faith. You see it there in the text. He tells them, hey, move away the stone. I love that Martha's response is like, I don't know if if that's such a good idea. First off, it would have been a little bit of a disrespectful thing. It's kind of like asking somebody to open a casket after somebody has passed away and been buried. He asked him to do this, and she says, you know, there's gonna, it's been four days, there's gonna be a little odor. Sometimes the ESV doesn't necessarily capture the best words here. I like that the King James says, her response was, he stinketh. And so that's the original text, that's the original words for it a warning that they didn't want to go in because at that time, they didn't embalm people. They just wrapped them. And this would have been a pretty intense moment. They choose to pull back the stone. And as he's talking there, he cries out in a loud voice. And with these three words, Lazarus, come out, everything changed. This man who had been dead, no, no longer a false belief of a spirit hanging out on above him after three days. This man was dead, was brought back to life. Can you imagine? I picture this guy coming out and he's still got wraps all around him. He's kind of walking, running into stuff. He's bumping into things there. They're like, man, you gotta, and Jesus like, oh, somebody pitch in, get some, unwrap him from the stinky grave clothes. Get him out of that. What a beautiful picture of the resurrecting power of our God. Jesus can bring death back to life. Do you feel like there's a teachable moment even in that grave clothes idea? Some of us have been brought back to life, and yet we tend to linger in our grave clothes. We tend to still go back to the same old stuff, the same stinky habits, the same stinky routines. He has the same word for us, unwrap, get out of those grave clothes so that you can be set free. Let him go is his instructions. Beautiful picture we see he explains in his prayer the purpose behind all of this. The purpose or reason was that they might believe that you sent me, that you may believe. Some people, this would have been the very first time they put their belief in Jesus. They saw this with their own eyes. They couldn't deny it. They had been there on the adventure. Others, this solidified their faith like nothing else. A beautiful, powerful thing. And here's the reality. is A person fully convinced is a powerful tool in the hands of our Lord. 
Somebody that's fully in, that they're not kind of wavering, that they're not teetering. When they've actually fully bought in, man, that's somebody that our Lord can do something with. So really, if you think about it, this section I titled, Every Pain Has the Potential to Build Our Faith. I didn't say every pain does build our faith. It has the potential to build our faith. Because when we start to see his faithfulness and acknowledge, recognize it, point to it, celebrate it, all of a sudden, our faith gets grounded more and more and deeper and deeper. And all of a sudden, we become somebody that he can use in a mighty way because we're not swayed by the wind. I love this passage because you see all different kinds of things about who Jesus is. You see that he is loving and he is compassionate. The people, when they, he, he said Jesus wept, all the people around him recognized, they're like, man, he really did love this man. That was not a question. You see also that he's doing things and coordinating the timing perfectly for everything in our life. He's got your best interest in mind and at the same time trying to glorify God through the process for us to understand this in our trials and not lean into our understanding and our limited perspective, understanding that there's a bigger picture involved changes everything. And all of a sudden, when you see things through his lens, there's, there's no sting to death. There's no fear that should be attached to it. I thank God for this passage. I pray that it brings hope even in the middle of your circumstances this week. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this text that gives a clearer picture of who you are, a compassionate God, a God who leans in, a God who's present, a God who wants to be with us through our pain, but also a God that's fully in charge, that you haven't finished writing any of our stories, that we're invited to walk by faith and not by sight. I pray that that would be the case for each one of us in the season ahead, that we'd be trusting in you with all of the stuff that's going on from COVID to government to family stuff to work stuff. We would turn all of that and recognize you're the God that saves, that rescues, that isn't bound by time. We praise you for that in Jesus Christ's name, amen. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at His feet we bow. Your name, O oh Lord. Your name, your name is victory. Your praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. Your praise will rise.
Bright Church. Well, thanks for being a part of our online service. I pray you have an amazing week and you cling to Jesus Christ and his faithfulness through whatever storm, whatever trial you're going through. If there's any way we can serve you at all, always feel free to reach out. God bless you. Have a great week.